Hebrews 10, 1 to 10. Here is what the author of Hebrews uh, is saying. Uh, please make sure you have notes. If not, uh, raise your hands uh, and Brother Francis will give you some. Hebrews 10, 1 to 10. For since the law possesses only a foreshadowing of the good things which are to come and not the actual form of those realities, it can never decisively purge those who draw near by the same sacrifice which, which are offered continuously year after year. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers uh, would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty of their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. Amen? That doesn't sound very good when you have an annual tangible reminder of your sins, right? But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. Verse 4, for it is, uh, how possible it is? Impossible. impossible. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls uh, and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offering you did, not, you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. With burnt offering and sin offering, you were not pleased. Then he said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offering, burnt offering and sin offering, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered accordance, in accordance to the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sits aside the first to establish the second. Amen? Let's say that part together. It's just so amazing. He sits aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy, have been sanctified through the sacrifice of the body of Christ. How frequent? Once and for all. Amen. We've been in the book of Hebrews now for quite a while. And um, we said before, just a reminder, that the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish people who became Christian, and now they want to go back to Judaism. So the author of Hebrews wrote that book to warn them never to consider going back to Judaism. Amen? And he spent the first, pretty much the whole 10 chapters, we're going to finish that next week, uh, till chapter 10, verse 18, where he has been arguing the supremacy of Christ versus the Old Testament elements. We've seen how the author of Hebrews told us that Jesus is superior to all the prophets, superior to all the angels, he's superior to Moses, he's superior to Aaron, the high priest of the Old Testament. And when it came to Jesus' superiority over Aaron, the author of Hebrews spent about six chapters elaborating on that. Amen? Chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and almost the whole of chapter 10. He started by telling us that Jesus, in his person, is a superior high priest to Aaron, the high priest of the Old Testament. And that was chapter 5, 6, and 7. And now, in this section that we're in, chapter 8, 9, and 10, the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus has a superior ministry, a superior priesthood than that of Aaron. We've seen that Jesus has a better sanctuary, a better covenant, a better ministry. And now we have arrived to chapter 10, verse 1, which today we're going to take only the first 10 verses, 1 to 10. 
that the sacrifice of Christ was better than all the sacrifices that was offered under the Old Testament. Amen? In the first 10 verses that we just read today, we're going to see that Jesus has provided a true sanctification. Unlike the Old Testament sacrifices, it was not able to sanctify, to purge the conscience of the person who's coming close to God. Unlike those, Jesus' sacrifice is superior because Jesus offered or provided through his sacrifice true sanctification. And next week, we're going to see that through the sacrifice of Christ, Jesus has provided decisive cleansing, unlike the Old Testament sacrifices that absolutely failed to uh, cleanse the one who's trying to come close to God. In the first 10 chapters, it has two main points here. The first point is, the first five verses, the author of Hebrews kept telling us about the futility of the Old Testament sacrifices, how it was not working. And then in the, the second five verses, he starts telling us about how the new sacrifice of Christ has abrogated the Old Testament sacrificial system. Amen? Because you have a system that didn't work, it needs to be replaced, and that's precisely what Jesus has done when he has come to die on the cross for our sins. Let's start with verse 1 here, chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law possesses only what? The foreshadowing, the shadow of the good things that are to come and not the actual form of these realities. Doesn't that remind us of what the author of Hebrews said back then in chapter 8 verse 5 when he talked about the tabernacle and he said that the tabernacle of the Old Testament is what? Is a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. So in chapter 8, he tells us that the tabernacle is a shadow. Now he's telling us that the law itself as well that was associated with that tabernacle is also a shadow of the good things that are to come. And if you remember, what we said back then is that the shadow has no life in it, right? Because that's precisely what the Old Testament is about. The sacrificial system, the law of the Old Testament, there is no life in it, and there is no uh, life giving in it either. You just try to go through the rituals because it's only shadows to the true things that is about to come. Amen? And the author of Hebrews uh, in verse 1 here says that the law possesses only the foreshadows of the good things to come and not the actual form of those realities. The good things to come is the realities that the author of Hebrews is referring to here in verse 1, which is the blessings that God has provided only through Christ and through his death on the cross, right? Doesn't that remind us of what he said in chapter 9, verse 11? Remember that? That Jesus, as our high priest, has appeared of the good things to come. He has come to bring these good things. All the, the, the shadows, the stuff that was kind of promised and hoped for under the Old Testament, the realities that God, the, the realities of the blessings of God promised under the Old Testament only fulfilled through Jesus Christ when he came to die for us on the cross. 
Amen? It is the true forgiveness. In the Old Testament, we see that you can offer a sacrifice, and through that sacrifice, you can be forgiven, but it is not a real forgiveness. The realities and the good things to come is the true forgiveness, the true acceptance by God, the true salvation, the true approaching to the holy presence of God. All these realities only provided through Christ and his death on the cross for us. Amen? Then he says to us this in verse 1, that... Since the law possesses only the foreshadows of the things to come and it would never precisely uh, was able to cleanse the person who's, draw, who's coming close to God. In other words, the author of Hebrews here telling us about the failure, the futility of the law and its sacrificial system to bring a person close to God. Amen? And didn't he say that? See, everything he's saying here already linked to stuff he said before. Remember in chapter 7 when he said that the priesthood of the Old Testament that was so entangled of the law in the Old Testament that also was futile, that also was ineffective, that also needed to be done away with. Remember that? Chapter 7 verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should come according to the order of Melchizedek, right? The fact that Jesus needs to come as a high priest in the Old Testament on a different order tell us that the Old Testament priesthood system was failing. It was not able to bring people close to God. Chapter 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. The law was unable to bring sinful men closer to a holy God. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing of a better hope did when Jesus come, by which we can draw near unto God. So what the author of Hebrews is telling us here in chapter 10, verse 1, is pretty much he's bringing back a couple of the thoughts and the ideas that he has already discussed, that he has already mentioned, that the Old Testament system was failing. It was not able to bring sinful man close to a holy God. Amen? Verse 2, let's see what he says here. It can never decisively purge, purge uh, those who draw near by the same sacrifices which is offered continually year after year. That's the rest of verse 1. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have stopped being offered for the worshiper would have been cleansed once and for all and no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Amen? Amen? The author of Hebrews is telling us this, that the fact that the Old Testament sacrifices, particularly those of the Day of Atonement, were offered every single year that tell you that it didn't work, right? Because if it worked, he would not need it. The Old Testament high priest would have not needed to offer it again the following year. The very fact that he's offering it again the next year and the third year and the fourth year tell you that these were ineffective to cleanse the person from the conscious guilt of sin. Amen? Now, I, I tell you guys before about my friend Alex, who's a, a Jewish person, and I'm trying to tell him about Jesus. And the Jewish people actually just celebrated the Day of Atonement. I think it was a month or uh, two ago. And if you uh, hear him, he was telling me about the rituals. We're talking about the guilt of sin that they feel on the Day of Atonement. The rituals that the Jewish person will have to go through. First of all, you have to fast the whole 24 hours. 
the Day of Atonement starts the evening before and end the evening of the Day of Atonement. So since the sun set the day before, till the whole Day of Atonement and the sun goes down that day, about that 24 hours, you don't eat and you don't drink any water, not even a single sip of water. 24 hours. And all what they do is pretty much thinking and meditating and repenting of the sins that they have committed. Because they know that this is the day when you, the burden of your sins come upon you. This is the day that you think of your sin and try to repent of your sin. I can't remember exactly what you told me, uh, if it was a 24 hours meeting or they can go home at night or not. But the whole congregation, the whole group of, of, of people, of children of Israel, during the Day of Atonement, they gather together. And again, I can't remember if it's a 24-hour service where they actually collectively, as a group, repent of their sins. And this 24 hours is marked by a long period of absolute silence. They just don't talk during that time. The whole point is you're so grieved over your sins that you have committed throughout the year. Right? You, you grieved over what you have done and you're repenting. You're trying to show God that you are sincere, that you really didn't mean that, and that you're really seeking the mercy and the grace of God because you have sinned against Him. 24 hour service, 24 hour service, or they can go home at night and come back the next day. But at least they have the big chunk of the day, maybe 14 hours at least, when they actually corporately, as a group of people, getting together, repenting of their sins. Amen? So I don't want to ever hear complaining about me preaching too long. Amen? If they can be in a 24-hour service, you can handle it. <laughs> but my point is this. Every single time there is an annual sacrifice of sin, there is also a guilty reminder that the conscious, the conscious of the person is reminded of how they have sinned against God and they need to be forgiven. They need to be cleansed before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Next year, the sacrifices is offered again, and these sacrifices serve them as an annual reminder. It kind of comes back to their face, and you say, you know what? Yes, you repented last year, but you still need to repent again. You still need to seek forgiveness again, because you're not fully, 100% forgiven before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? And the reason there is always a constant reminder of their sin and a constant feel of guilt before a holy and a righteous God is because the blood by which their high priest would enter into the holy of holies is insufficient blood. Amen? It cannot bring true forgiveness. And because that blood is ineffective, insufficient, the worshiper himself has to bear that guilt and constantly being reminder of their sins before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Look at verse 4. It says this. For it is, how possible it is? It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. Aren't you grateful today for the blood of Jesus? Amen? Because if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, there would have been absolutely no way for sinners like you and me to ever be forgiven before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Jesus came and his blood is not... His blood is all-powerful, is able to satisfy the justice and the wrath of God once and for all. And because Jesus' blood is sufficient, you and I can actually have true forgiveness before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? So the first five verses, the author of Hebrews is talking to us about the futility of the Old Testament sacrifices. The fact that it has been done every single year tells you that it doesn't work. 
But now he moved on to the second part of his argument, which is, because it didn't work, it has been replaced. And in order for the author of Hebrews to support that point, he quoted a quote from Psalm 40, verses 6 to verse 8. Psalm 40, verses 6 to verse 8. He quoted that. That's from the Psalms, where, where David actually is speaking. Back in the Psalms, it wasn't Christ, of course. It was David. And David is talking to God, and he's saying this. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. That's David back in Psalm 40. But a body you have prepared for me would burn the offering and sin offering you were not pleased. But then it says, but I have come to do your will in the book, oh my God. Now, even though David is the one who spoke in Psalm 40, who is the author of Hebrews saying here that actually spoke these words? Read with me verse 5. Therefore, when that David came into the world, he said, right? It says Christ. It doesn't say David, it says Christ here. Because that tells you how the author of Hebrews perceived this scripture. He perceived that the actual speaker of Psalm 40 was not really David. It was Christ. It was a prophecy about what Christ will do when he comes into the world. Now, there is a problem with that quote. If you remember, uh, we talked about this before, but um, the Hebrew text, which is called the Masoretic text, it doesn't have that phrase, but a body you have prepared for me. The actual Hebrew, like I think if you turn to the Old Testament and read that verse, it will read this. Therefore, when Christ come, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but you have opened my ear. That's what the Hebrew says. Now, the Septuagint, anybody know what that is? It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and that was done before Christ and before the New Testament, right? So the Greek translation of the Old Testament, read this, read it the same way the author of Hebrews quoted. It says this, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So the author of Hebrews here did not follow the Hebrew. He followed the Greek translation of the Hebrew, which is not exactly what the Hebrew was saying. Now, why is that? Why there is a difference between the author of Hebrews quote or the Septuagint translation versus the, the, Hebrew, trans, the Hebrew wording? There's many ways to look at it, but I think the simplest way is to look at it this way. That the Septuagint, when they translated the Old Testament, when they translated that verse, they more took upon themselves a, a, a way of understanding that verse. They did an interpretation of that verse more than just a word-for-word -word translation. For the Greek, for the Septuagint translators, they understood the fact that God has opened David's ear, is that the ear is the gate to the whole body. And when the ear of David was opened to obey the commandment of God, what results out of that is the full body of David will follow the command of God, right? So they actually took more of an interpretative uh, approach to that verse rather than, rather than a literal translation of the actual Hebrew. That when God opened David's ear, his whole body will follow and his whole body will be kind of a sacrifice being obedient to God. Every single part of him will obey. Now the author of Hebrews looked at that verse in the book of in the Septuagint and he said, Aha! A body you have prepared for me. He's talking here about Jesus who has incarnated and God has prepared a body for him. 
And that body that Jesus was incarnated in is a mark of his ultimate obedience to God, that he will leave his glory, he will come down to be a man like you and me, so he can go to the cross and offer that very body that was given to him by God as the sacrifice by which sinners like you and me can approach a holy and a righteous God. Amen? So the Old Testament verse says this, sacrifices and offering you did not desire. And again, the Hebrew says, you have opened my ear. The rest of it is pretty, pretty much the same, small deviations, but nothing worth mentioning now. With burnt, offering, with burnt offering and sin offering, you have not been pleased. And then it says this in the verse, here I have come. It is written of me, uh, as it is written in the scroll, to do your will, O my God. Amen. And then the author of Hebrews went on in verse 8, 9, and 10 to do his own sermon on these two verses from Psalm 40, right? And we have seen that this is pretty much a common practice the author of Hebrews keep on doing. He quote a verse from the Old Testament and he preached his own sermon on it. Amen? Anybody reminds me of something he said in the Old Testament that we spent substantial time studying the author of Hebrews sermon on it. Psalm 110, right, verse 4. Emmanuel, it's, it's awesome. Somebody's listening. That's so good. <laughs> Psalm 110, verse 4, what it says, the Lord has, uh, there is multiple, the Lord has sworn and shall not relent. You are a high priest forever on the order of Melchizedek, right? We said the author of Hebrews took three chapters even just discussing that one verse going over it and over it and over it again, right? Remember, uh, chapter 3 and 4 is actually a sermon on Psalm 95. Chapter 2 is a, it is a sermon from Psalm 8. And there's so many incidences how the author of Hebrews get a verse from the Old Testament and he pretty much preach on it and expound on it and apply that to Christ. And that's what he's doing precisely here. The author of Hebrews looked at the ordering and the arrangements of the thought of Psalm 40. And he said, oh, wait a minute. Look at how the psalm is written. It first of all starts by the sacrifices and the offering that God has offered, that, that was offered under the Old Testament. And it says this, sacrifices and offering you did not desire, that's stage number one. And then stage number two says, you have prepared a body for me, right? And then it says this, um, with burnt offering, you, you were not pleased. With sin offering, you were not pleased. But here I come to do your will, my God. So the author of Hebrews understood that verse, these two verses, in terms of stages. The first stage is that the sacrifices of the Old Testament was not really pleasing to God, right? The second stage is that a body was prepared for Christ to come to do the will of God. You guys are with me? And in that consequence of stages, the author of Hebrews saw an application that the fact that it was mentioned second that Jesus will come in his body to, 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 to take care of the problem of sin, to obey God, actually replaces the first stages, which is the insufficiency of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. You guys are with me? So the author of Hebrews saw that as two stages, and the second one replaces the first one. He commented on that in verse 8 and 9. He said, first, look at the word first, right? Here is what his point comes from. First, he said, sacrifices and offering, burnt offering and sin offering, you did not desire, nor you were pleased with them, though they were offered according to the law. Then he said. So the author of Hebrews understood Psalm 40 in terms of stages. First stage, the sacrifices are not good enough. The second stage, here I come, I have come to do your will, my God, or O oh God. 
So he understood the second stage, which represents the death of Christ on the cross to do the very will of God, to replace the first stage, which is the insufficiency of the Old Testament sacrifices. He said this, he sits aside the first to establish the second. You guys see how the author of Hebrews, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, understood that verse, right? He stood it in terms of stages, the second replaces the first. And isn't that what he does, right? We've seen that multiple times before. We just seen in verse in chapter 7, verse 11, that the two stages, the Old Testament priesthood has been replaced by the New Testament priesthood, right? The priesthood of Aaron has been replaced by the priesthood of Melchizedek. We've seen that in chapter 7, verse 11. We've seen that the Old Covenant, remember the very last verse of chapter 8, the Old Covenant has been replaced by the new covenant remember that it says that now that it's old it has been obsolete it's growing old and it's becoming obsolete so the old covenant the old way of approaching god has now been obsolete and has been replaced by the new covenant which is approaching god based on the grace and the love of christ that he has shown us through his sacrificial death on the cross right and now here we see that the sacrifices also has been replaced by the sacrifice of Christ in the New Testament. So over and over and over again, the author of Hebrews keep telling us that everything pretty much in the Old Testament and the way of approaching God in the Old Testament has been replaced by a far much better, actually working ways of approaching God in the New Testament through the death of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's close with verse 10, which is the best, pretty much for me, the best verse in the whole chapter, in the whole passage here. Verse 10, it says this. <clears throat> By that well, we have been made sanctified or holy through the sacrifice, the sacrifice of the body of Christ once and for all. Now, this is his conclusion based on his sermon, based on Psalm 40. In verse 10, here is a tricky question for you. There is three parts that the author of Hebrews is using or referring or quoting from verse 10 to prove his point. Three aspects he borrowed from verse from Psalm 40 in verse 10. Can you help me out here? What in verse 10 he has taken from verse 40? Three things. By that well, right? Remember the word well, this, it's actually from Psalm 40, right? The last verse says this, here I come to do your will, O God. So he quoted that part, well, from, uh, from Psalm 40. We have been made sanctified through the sacrifice of that body of Christ. So you have the well and you have the body of Christ. The word body is also a quote from Psalm 40, right? It says, you have prepared a body for me, right? So he took the word body from Psalm 40, he took the word will from Psalm 40, and he took the word offering by that sacrifice offering. He also took that from Psalm 40, amen? So he goes back to Psalm 40, and he borrows all these elements, and he comes to his own conclusion, obviously under the direction of the Holy Spirit, that it is by this will that we have been sanctified once and for all through the that death of Christ on the cross. Amen? Amen? Now, let's look at this. 
the author of Hebrews is telling us this, that God who has prepared a body of Christ through which Jesus incarnated, it is the sacrifice of that body, that, that the death of that body on the cross was the mean by which you and I have been sacrificed, amen, been sanctified, amen? The author of Hebrews is also telling us that this body was in a way similar to the offering that was offered under the Old Testament rules. This body was not just offered. Jesus did not just die as a, a murderer or somebody who, who did righteousness and was persecuted, but his body was offered in a way very similar to the sacrifices of the Old Testament. It is through the sacrifice of the body of Christ. Amen? It is through Jesus taking our place as our substitute on the cross and offering up his body to God, that's what made us holy. Amen? And then it also said that this was the will of God throughout. That Jesus who is innocent will come down to earth in a form of a human person like you and me to go to the cross to die on your behalf and my behalf. This is what? The will of God. You guys are with me? What the author of Hebrews is telling us here is this. The cross was not an accident in God's plan. It's not something God has invented along the way. Throughout history, from the very beginning, the cross is the very will of God. You guys are with me? And this is very important. This is the cross and Jesus dying on the cross is not just something God came up with by, hey, let's try it and see if that works or not. This is his very intended plan from the very beginning to the very end. The author of Hebrews saw in that word will in Psalm 40 an indication that it has been the will of God throughout even the Old Testament that Jesus will come to die on the cross for us. Amen? And that's what we see throughout the scripture. Let me just show you a couple of verses that show you that the cross is God's will. Verse, the first one in, in, in John 6, 38, Jesus is saying this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but that the will of him who sent me. And what did Jesus do when he came down from heaven? He went to the cross, right? He died on the cross. In other words, Jesus is telling us here in John 6, 38, that the death on the cross, his death on the cross, as the substitute, as the, the sacrifice for our sin, is the very will of God that Jesus has come to accomplish. Amen? In John 12, 27, Jesus said this, but for this cause came, uh, but for... But for this cause came I unto this hour. I have come to this hour because of this, because of the cross. This is the reason why I'm here. Because I'm going to the cross. Because I'm going to do the will of God. Matthew 26, 38. Talking about Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And it says this. He went a little further and fell on his face. And he prayed, Oh my father, if it is possible, let this God pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Question. After Jesus prayed this, did he end up dying on the cross or not dying on the cross? Dying on the cross. What does that tell you? That the cross is the will of God. Because Jesus prayed and said, God, let your will be done. And right after that, he goes to the cross and he dies for you and me. Amen? Because the cross is the will of God. It has been, it will always be that Jesus would die on the cross as our substitute. Mm -hmm. Acts 2.23. Him, Jesus, being delivered by that what? 
determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Not just foreknowledge of God, but both determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Amen? Amen. The cross is God's determined purpose. That's what he has intended throughout history, that Jesus will come and die on the cross for your sins and my sins. Amen? First John, First uh, Peter 1, 18 to 20. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was what? foreordained before the foundation of the world. It was arranged this way. It was planned this way. That even before the foundation of the world, Jesus will come to die on the cross to be our substitute and shed his blood so he can redeem us from our sins. Amen? He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. Amen? Amen. The cross is no accident, my friend. The cross is no just act of chance. The cross is the very determined purpose of God that was foreordained even before the foundation of the world. Amen? Think about that. Before you and I even came to existence, God has already prepared the way for us. God has already made the plan that Jesus will come to redeem us from our sins when he dies on the cross as our substitute. Amen? Amen. Now, by this will, the author of Hebrews said, we, does it say we are sanctified or we will be sanctified? It says that we have been sanctified. Is that present or, uh, is that past, present or future tense? That's past tense. Something already happened, right? So that the author of Hebrews talking about here is not the process of sanctification that the Christian goes through after their salvation. It's talking about the process of being set apart. When you become a Christian, when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, at that very moment you receive salvation from God. But in the same moment, God sets you aside for himself, for his purposes, for his kingdom, for his glory. Amen? You're being set aside. You're becoming Holy from that point forward, i.e., you're becoming set aside, sanctified for different purposes than the world and sin that Satan is to serve the living God. Amen? And the author of Hebrews is telling us here that the only way that we could have ever been set apart to do the purposes of God in our lives, this could have never happened unless Jesus sacrificed his body on the cross once and for all to do the will of God. Amen? Can we say that verse together, verse 10, and then we'll close in, pr in prayer. Let's say it together. If you can memorize it, it will be awesome. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once and for all. Let's close our eyes and pray.